I see something in there and I try and create it and it's sort of like solving a puzzle in my mind. And if I'm in the right frame of mind, sometimes it works really quick and it happens and it looks good and I'll look at it and refine it over a couple of days until I'm happy with it. Or I might sit on it for six months and absolutely hate it and then I'll post it and everyone says it's the best photo I've ever taken. Welcome to Morning Tea and Torture with Tapir One, a podcast with no agenda and no expectations. We're just having a cup of tea with friends, talking about digital art and other creative ways to, well, waste your time. Now, here's your host, Tapir One. Call him Tio. Good morning. My guest today is Timbo Slice, an aerial photographer from Canberra, Australia. In his spare time, Tim is a full-time professional firefighter. Tim's photos reveal nature's unbridled strength and fragility, ranging from the ferocity of untamed ocean waves to the ghostly scenes of ship graveyards succumbing to the elements. But what sets Tim apart is his talent for capturing the power and beauty of the majestic whales that graze our oceans. Despite photographing these creatures from a distance, Tim's intimate portraits convey a level of detail that makes viewers feel as if they are right there in the water with them. You can find his works on Nifty Gateway, Foundation and Super Rare. And if you're still wondering just how good Tim's work really is, he was recently awarded Australian Aerial Photographer of the Year, solidifying his place as one of the leading artists of his craft. Today, Tim's here to tell us a bit about his life and his work. Everyone, please welcome Tim. Hey, Tim. Stoked to have you on the show, mate. Hi, Tio. Thanks for having me, mate. Jeez, that's a really good intro. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you. And it's well deserved, I would say. Yeah, great. We could make this work here. You have a tight schedule as family father, firefighter, photographer. <laughs> yeah, definitely throw the time zones in there. And it's hard to kind of link up all the time. I know we're always saying good night when it's good morning and good morning when it's good night. But yes, yeah, it's, it's nice to tee it up. Thank you. Eternal circle of GM and GN for us. That's right. So yeah, it's always time for a GM. <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump right into do insurance companies hate ocean drone photographers? <laughs> I think they hate all drone photographers in general. It's really hard to get insurance over here in Australia. For most things, I don't bother taking the insurance out. And it's relatively safe flying out over the water compared to land because you don't have a lot of objects that you can fly into. So although it seems daunting that if the drone does come down over water, you're actually really safe flying out over the water because there's not a lot that can go wrong. So you're not even bothering getting an insurance for your drone? Well, no. I'm sponsored by DJI now, so... It's kind of handy having that in the back pocket. If I lose a drone, um, they'll just send me out a new one. But I think if I crash too many, that'll stop pretty quickly. <laughs> okay, I get it. So how many yeah. drones have been eaten by sharks or saltwater crocodiles so far? Oh, there's been a few online lately getting eaten by the crocodiles. I was surprised to see some footage last week of one getting a little bit too close. But surprisingly enough, I've only ever seen one shark with my drone of all the times I've been to the ocean. That was a couple of weeks ago, just standing up at the shore my wife she was looking out over at the water while I was outside. I was trying to film some waves up off the beach and she was banging on the car window and she said, I'm pretty sure there's a shark out there in the water. And so I quickly flew over it and sure enough, it was the first shark I saw after like three years of, of searching the water, but didn't leap out and grab the drone, which was nice. But, um, <laughs> I only got about 10 seconds of footage. <laughs> yeah, very kind shark. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. How did you choose drone photography as your artistic medium in the first place? Yeah, it's a bit of an interesting one. I never really wanted... To, it sounds a bit, a bit odd, but I never really was interested in, in photography or, or flying drones growing up. You know, I always wanted to be a firefighter and 
it wasn't until I went to a wedding just before COVID in Melbourne in, in Australia and someone there had a drone and I saw them like, you know, unfold it and, and launch it. And they just flew like straight over this hill, like this mountain range behind where the wedding was. And I was absolutely blown away that they just had this little, I viewed it as a toy as such that just went out and they were flying it and they were showing me where they were. And I was, from that moment, I was hooked. Like I, I got home and I pretty much obsessed about yeah. it. My wife was sick of hearing about me asking for a drone all the time. <laughs> and as soon as I got one, it, it just like, kind of clicked and I never looked back. I fell in love with photography, just seeing the world from above. Everything just looked different all of a sudden. Every day I'd be looking at the the sunset or just objects around and it, everything just kind of changed in my eyes. It was very strange. Wow. Yeah, my only experience with drones is like a small helicopter I once flew uh, within my flat and it kept bumping into the walls and that was about it. So no no camera there. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. It's actually, well, you started off, I started off before I got an expensive one. I got a, you know, a cheap one off the internet. It was like $100 or something and it had a camera on it and we thought this is going to be great. And I took it out the front and first launch, it sort of just did its own thing and it went into the bushes in the Navy's yard. <laughs> so I had to get the ladder out and I was climbing up and I thought, I'm, I'm sure I'm not this bad at flying. Like it, it can't be me. It's definitely the drone. And everyone was laughing at me saying, oh, maybe it's you. So you should give up. But yeah, I stuck to it and you know, here we are. Yeah. yeah. That, that's great. Good that you didn't give up then <laughs> and got a decent one. Yeah. You're a firefighter which is awesome. Has this in some way influenced your approach to drone photography? It's definitely allowed me to pursue it in the way that I have. I'm very fortunate with the job that it gives me so much time off just with my family and to do the stuff that I want to do as well. Although lately it's been taking up a lot of my time, like the drone photography doesn't mean a lot of family time. But yeah, definitely I wouldn't be able to be present in the way I am online if it wasn't for the way my job runs because I, I do get a lot of time off. We have to have downtime so that we're not sort of dealing with the stresses of everyday life when you're a firefighter because you can see some nasty stuff. So it's good just kind of have that creative outlet where we can just basically do anything else but deal with the trauma and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, I think the job is definitely, it might have not influenced my creative style, but it's definitely enhanced the way that I can just go out and go to the coast when I can with my family and, and just spend as much time doing what I love other yeah. than just working all the time. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so you're working shifts, I guess, as a firefighter, but you're not allowed to work much overtime. Did I get this right? So you get, get oh, some... Well, you, you can work You can work a lot of overtime if you want to, but <laughs> there are rules in place with sort of how much you can do and you, you kind of get tired after a while. It gets to be yeah. a lot, but yeah, we do do shift work. We do two days, two nights and four days off, but I've been on holidays for the last two months, so I don't even know what days we work. Really. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been nice. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. I can imagine that it allows you to just take your mind off things to do something completely different that it's not in any way related to your, to your actual job. Right. But yeah, uh, it's nice. It kind of keeps me interested in both things. I think if you do something all the time, full time, it kind of becomes a chore. And if you can have sort of the best of both worlds, I think I'm very lucky, lucky to have that. Yeah. I don't resent going to work ever and I don't resent creating pictures. So it's, it's good. I mean, you're living the dream life of every kid on this planet, right? <laughs> living the dream of my own kids. I don't push it on them at all. And my, my middle boy, he, all he says he wants to do is be a firefighter. It's very cute. So firefighter. I'll encourage and... him to do whatever he wants to do. <laughs> right. Firefighter and drone pilot, which is, which is amazing. Kids love this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> When and how did you discover NFTs? Uh, that's a good question. Going back, I remember because I was sort of posting a lot of 
I started off like most photographers just posting stuff on Instagram. There was a little bit of talk amongst my, I was in sort of like a drone chat with a few American friends and they mentioned Clubhouse and all these sort of chat rooms <clears> and <throat> NFTs were starting were starting up and they were talking about all that sort of stuff. And I didn't really pay a lot of, of attention to it at that time, which I probably should have, but you know, <laughs> it's one of those things you kind of sit on the fence for a while until you dive in. And by the time you dive in, it's too late. But I kind of just looked into it a little bit while I was at work. It just sort of appealed to me. I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to be any good at this, I'll give it a go. And yeah, I just researched as much as I could. I made a lot of mistakes. I probably still make mistakes today, but I think I'm way better for it now, knowing what I know now than yeah, if I just dived in and waited. I've seen a lot of people sit on the fence for a very, very long time and they just haven't, I wouldn't say they haven't made it, but it's been a hard slog for them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, getting into NFTs is a very steep and painful learning curve, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Several years ago, I bought some Ethereum that I, I completely forgot about. So I had it sitting, it was, it was only like $100 worth. It wasn't much, but when I checked my wallet, when I figured out, you know, for NFTs, you need to have Ethereum to pay all these fees and I checked my account and I had like $400 and I was like, this is amazing. How good is this? <laughs> I had all the money they ready to go to mint my first piece and it cost an arm and a leg and I thought, oh my God, like, is this going to be the right thing to do? But yeah, it worked. <laughs> and when was it? Was it 2021? When you, yeah, when 2021. You yeah. yeah, I started on OpenSea, was hunting down that Lucas invite for foundation for months. Oh yeah. Back before it wasn't public. It was fun times, yeah. Like I think everyone was kind of finding their feet and photography wasn't really that big of a thing online. It was definitely like the PFP craze with the massive projects and I think apes were, were only at five or five or six ETH and I thought that's an insane amount of money and you look at them now. It's, uh, yeah, it was definitely easier times. <laughs> yeah, hindsight is always twenty twenty. <laughs> so yeah, minting was hilariously expensive back in 2021. This is why I was asking what year it was because it sounded very familiar that it's costing you an arm and a leg to even mint something. It did, yeah. Especially on foundation. By the time I got my foundation invite, I wanted to release a collection of images on foundation and it cost me 0.75 ETH to mint a collection of nine images, which was at the time, I couldn't believe what I was doing. And I wow. kind of had the plan and stuck to it. But I, at the time, it was just, that was just an insane amount of yes. money to yeah, try and make it, I guess. Yeah, it was, it was tough. <laughs> yeah, at first, the, the joy of getting in on, on foundation, then finding out <laughs> how much you have to pay to mint yeah, piece there. That's right. So it's yeah, a rough, it's rough awakening, but you kept your pace and you, you stuck to it. So kudos for this. And yeah, yeah, you got in at the right time, I would say, just when photography was starting to take off. Tim, how would you describe your style to someone who has never seen one of your photos? Yeah, it's a very good question. I've been thinking about this all week about how I would answer this and I can't put one definitive word on my style. It's definitely ocean-based. My goal has always been to take a photo of something that people don't usually see. You might see something from eye level or you go to the beach and you see waves and you see waves every day, but I want to show them in a way that you haven't seen them or in a way that you couldn't think was possible. Definitely with whales and animals, anything like that, just seeing them in their natural habitat that you might not see if you go up to them with a boat, it's a little bit easier to capture them via a drone when they're, they're just in their own element alone. So I definitely like to think it's unique in a way. It's changing. What I was taking two years ago is definitely different to what I'll be taking in two years from now. I'd like to think that it's evolving as well with me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How, how long did it take you to, to develop the style that you currently have? I still think I'm perfecting it today. I try new things and fail and 
try again and try something different. I'll go out and shoot and wait for the right light. Or even though waves crash every day at the beach, there's only the right time when the light makes it look good and you don't get too much glare and all these little things that I've picked up along the way because I've still got the first ever photo that I took of the water and I was so proud of it and I look back at it and think it's just, it's horrendous. I don't know what I was thinking, but <laughs> it's those moments you learn from it and it only makes you better. So it's definitely something that I'm trying to work on. Definitely, definitely. As long as you're improving, be gentle to your former self. And Yeah, absolutely. How does your artistic process look like? How do you find your motives? How do you approach if you, if you want to shoot something? It's weird because obviously I live in Canberra and it's nowhere near the water. Most of the time when I'm at the beach, it's usually I'm already in a good frame of mind. I'm with the family. We're on a holiday. We'll be at the coast. I'm not working. That is already the key component there is I'm in, I'm in like a good mood as such, yeah. which kind of just opens up your mind to be creative. But I'll go to the beach maybe one or two weeks, capture as much as I can. It'll be completely random. I'll, sometimes I'll have a plan with what I want to do and other times I'll just be in the right place at the right time. You, know, you can kind of make an educated guess when the sunrise is going to be nice and I'll try and be there for it. And then the beauty with the drone is you can be in a half decent spot but you can fly to a really good spot so it kind of just opens up your avenues to get a good photo exactly you have so many vantage points you just aren't stuck on the beach with your camera and have 360 degrees of what where you're standing but you can just fly to to somewhere else this is yeah that's right imagine. yeah I, it was only a couple of weeks ago i had this really nice sun it was a beautiful sunrise probably the best one i've seen this year so far And I was about a kilometer away from the lighthouse as well. So I, I took some really nice photos of me at the beach and the sunrise, which is kind of like some of the shots that I do. Mm -hmm. And then I just flew like to the lighthouse and got some lighthouse shots as well, which any other person would have to get in the car and drive there and set up. And and by the time you do that, the light's not right. The sun, sunrise is pretty much gone. So yeah. it's definitely one of the things I love about drone photography is you can just sort of be anywhere very quickly. That's cool. Does a camera roll all the time? And do you choose stills from the video that you're shooting or do you shoot photos of your motives? How does this work? I'll switch between the two. So before I just got this new drone, I would have to basically decide, especially when I'm going to shoot whales, it's, it's very important, but I have to decide what I want to do at the time. Do I want to take photos, go buy a battery? So because one sort of battery, you want to make the most out of it. So one battery, I'll take photos. And then another battery, I'll take videos because I'll have to put a filter on and change a few of the settings. And I don't really want to be doing that, especially out in the middle of the ocean. But lately, yeah, it's kind of hard. I'll, I'll see something nice and I'll take some pictures of it. And then I'll just quickly get a couple of videos. But I need to work on filming more because I have a very bad habit of taking a video and I'll stop filming probably only like two or three seconds before I should like, I should let it roll just that two or three seconds more. Because oh, yeah. I'll get home and I'll look at the footage and go, oh, this is really nice. And then I, For whatever reason, I stopped filming. I'm like, why did I stop filming? Like, I, just, I needed three seconds. It's so silly. I want to see how this movie ends. but <laughs> so, Yeah, I'm forever cutting myself short. <laughs> so next time, just let it run a little bit longer than you feel comfortable with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. it's, it's definitely something I've tried to work on because I've, I've missed out on a lot of good shots just because I'm cautious of how much storage I have or I don't want to be scrubbing through like four minutes of footage, but sometimes oh, yeah. I just got to do it. Oh, yeah. yeah. What kind of drone are you using currently? Currently, I'm using a Mavic 3 Pro, which is, it's by far the best all-round drone I've ever had. It does everything. And I, I don't see a real need to upgrade to anything bigger or better. Yeah. It does everything I need. Yeah, it flies forever. It's good. It's compact. It's not too heavy. I've definitely gone through a couple. Uh, yeah. I've lost one. Oh, yeah. Which is a sad day. Yeah, that one's, it's a good one. 
Yeah, I've seen sad stories of drone photographers on Twitter who were losing their drones. Is this the Mavic 3 Pro? Is this the one with the Hasselblad chip or lens? Yeah. It's yep, impressive. It's got the Hasselblad camera on it. Yeah. It's impressive. It's yeah. deluxe. Yeah, I really like it. And for such a heavy drone, do you need to have a license in Australia? Yeah, you do. I've actually been lucky with work. They're going to hopefully put me through a course to get my full license. They want to start introducing drones into the fire service, which I think is great. I'm going to be all over that when that happens. But yeah, you do need to have a license for certain things. And there are rules and regulations with some of the stuff where, where you can and can't fly. And and I don't really break, I never fly in a no-fly zone or anything like that because I don't want to ruin it for everyone else. They have all your details. So as soon as you do something wrong, I'll ring you straight away and go, what are you doing? But there's not really anywhere you can't fly down the coast. It's pretty chill. The ocean's free. <laughs> It's nice. Yeah, I live in Berlin, so I'm not bothering getting a drone here because the whole city is a no-fly zone, essentially. <laughs> yeah, it's it's too hard and it's not worth having that target on your back. And Plus the public. The public is probably the worst because you go to places and you get the, the Karens, as we call them out here in Australia. They just, they're in, out in force sometimes, especially where I live. That's why I don't, I don't really bother flying at home because there's a lot of public servants here. There's a lot of nice things you can take photos of, but it's sometimes just not, not worth the hassle of getting into an argument with someone about it. I see, I see. Absolutely. I've recently been asked whether there's perfection in art. I thought it was a very difficult question and I'm going to ask you the same. So what's, what would you take on this be? Do you think there's such a thing as a perfect shot? I think ah, that is a tough question. I would like to think that there is a perfect shot, but I don't think it ends there. So I think your perfect shot should always be your last shot. And if you have that mentality, you'll always take a perfect shot because If you think your perfect shot was a shot that you took six months ago, then what have you done in that six months? You haven't learned anything. You haven't tried anything new. So you should always be trying to perfect your shot. I think that's probably how I would answer that question. Yeah. The perfect shot, you haven't taken your perfect shot yet. The perfect shot will be the one that you take tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a very deep answer. I like that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> how long does post-processing take for you? So uh, imagine you're shooting and getting home, yanking out the SD card or transferring photos. And then how many photos do you usually take on a shoot? And how long does it take to choose and then to post-process to make them look as gorgeous as they are? It varies. It definitely varies. So I'll know when I'm shooting on the day, like if I have a really nice shot and I just know that it's going to be a quick and easy edit and I can post it, it's really easy. Like you, when you take the easier it is to take a good photo, the less post-processing you have to do and it just kind of clicks, everything works. That being said, working full-time, having family, it doesn't always, I can't just go and do it straight away. I've got photos from last year that I still haven't even looked at, videos that I haven't scrubbed through. I enjoy that. I think it's, it's as fun as it is going out and taking photos. I enjoy it. It's almost like problem solving for me in my head. I get to get the images in I get I see something in there and I try and create it and it's sort of like solving a puzzle in my mind and if I'm in the right frame of mind sometimes it works really quick and it happens and it looks good and I'll look at it and refine it over a couple of days until I'm happy with it or I might sit on it for six months and absolutely hate it and then I'll post it and everyone says it's the best photo I've ever taken so I clearly have no <laughs> idea what I'm looking at <laughs> So yeah, it varies. It definitely varies, but I don't have a lot of shooting time. So I think my editing time takes a lot longer. I'll go to the coast for two to three weeks at a time over the holiday period and capture as much as I can. And I'll just spend all that time capturing rather than editing, and except for the odd occasion of a couple of nice shots. But the rest of the time I'll, I'll come home and I'll just edit them when I can. And, and it kind of takes the stress off having to edit a bulk number of the same photos in one go. I can just pick at it when it feels right. 
Mm, all right, right. Yeah, and tastes are different. So I'm always amazed if I show something where I'm a bit doubtful and people say, yeah, they like it. And that's a good thing about Web3, Twitter, Instagram, that you can just crowdsource your audience somehow and uh, get amazing feedback probably not all the time the most honest feedback <laughs> because most people are very cheerful and they cheer everything makes me sometimes wonder if i should throw in there something that's really a horrendous picture and see <laughs> what the feedback looks like <laughs> honest yeah, people sure. really are so yeah. we could try an experiment there i'm gonna note this so <laughs> yeah that sounds like fun Do you, i will tell you it looks good <laughs> <laughs> thank you too kind too kind <laughs> I guess you in part already answered it a bit personally for you, the appeal of photos that are taken from such a high vantage point. Yeah, definitely what we touched on before, like seeing the world from above, it's just different. It's something that everyone wants. Like whether you go to a hotel, you always want to go to the top floor and stay at the penthouse because it's up nice and high. It's just like flying. You want you want to go up high and see everything that you can't see while you're, you're down on the ground. And it's something that definitely appeals to me. Definitely not flying super high. I don't always have to fly, you know, a million miles up in the air to see something really pretty. But I just love the different patterns and textures that you can see that you just can't appreciate when you're on the ground. That and it's just fun. Like I, I really can't describe it more than just having. I have so much fun when I fly around. It's like this little buzzy toy that you just get to play around and you just see the whole the world through whole new eyes and you're in control of everything you're almost like being a bird it's so much fun so your wife is standing then next to you with raised eyebrows or does she approve of your she, <laughs> she usually says time's up let's go yeah <laughs> she's great and honestly like without her i wouldn't be able to do half the stuff i do so it's it's definitely a team effort yeah that's for sure absolutely Yeah, what you said about textures and patterns, I absolutely can relate to this. So this opens an absolutely new world to you and the, the earth looks so so different. I mean, you can see this if you're flying on an airplane looking out of the window, how different everything looks and definitely can relate to this. Yeah, it probably, whether I know it or not, it's probably stemmed from like when I was little and would fly around, I used to love looking at, at the window of the airplane and just looking at all the different squares of land that people owned and how they were all different colors. And I remember when we were flying over, I think it was London, we we're coming out of London and just all the different paddocks were all different colors. Every little person had their own little square and it was all different. And I was just absolutely fascinated by it. So I think growing up, that was probably always in the back of my mind that I just love seeing things from, from above. Yeah. Yeah. It gives such a new perspective. And sometimes from the ground, it looks like, oh, this is all wild nature here. And when you're up in the air, you see all the squares and the fields and rectangles. And you see what, what mankind has done to the landscape, yeah. in fact. But also, of course, it can be very beautiful. Do you stand on the shoreline when you're shooting? Or have you, do you sometimes take a boat out to the sea with you on the ocean and then fly the drone no, from there? Everything I've ever captured has always been from the shore. Except one time, I've, I flew for the first time off a boat uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I... I don't know when I'll do it again because it's very scary. It's not something I'm very confident with. I'd much rather fly over the shore and fly six or seven k out over the water and fly back than go out on a boat. Yeah. Just because of the way the swell goes and the boat goes up and down and the drone moves side to side, and you've got to try and catch it. And if you miss it, it's going to chop your fingers off. Oh yeah. Oh. It's not fun. You don't. Want, <laughs> you don't want it to fall. You only get one catch. Otherwise, it's in the water. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I think to capture whales and sort of that wildlife out in the water your best vantage point to get the best images is from a boat because the whales, they don't always come up really close. So yes. you know, the boat's the way to go, but it's tough. <laughs> yeah, you need very deep waters to shoot those. 
you're a very active member of the noble card community that has been founded by artifaction and matt caesar and i've seen and was very happy to see this that you will be part of season two so you will drop a piece there which is really amazing I like that <laughs> congrats yeah thanks tell us a bit more about this collab here with uh, noble yeah for sure i was blown away honestly Artification and, and Matt are just two great blokes. I love listening to that opening space when they were announcing Noble Cards, which is pretty much what got me in there in the first place. I was at work and the space was on. So I quickly tuned in. I think I was at the gym at the time and I was listening in and, and Artie said, oh, everyone that's in the space is going to get dropped a card for free. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. Oh, I think we had to put an offer in and he was going to accept it. So it wasn't for free. And I thought, oh, this is too good to be true. So everyone did like a super low offer. And I was still a little bit confused about what had gone on. And, and it just opened me up to the whole world of Noble Cards ever since then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been right in the Discord, watched it grow from last year to season two now being an artist, which is just crazy. Artie, he's my all-time highest collector. He's a good dude. I can not speak highly enough of him. Yeah, the Discord is fun. The Noble Discord, not in very a lot of Discords, but this one definitely is fun and always... Yeah, it, it's a good place to be. There's a lot of like-minded people there. They're all just art-based. There's no heavy sort of opinions, which you can definitely get in Discords. Yeah, I don't have any time for that. Like, I think being Australian, we're just pretty <laughs> chilled. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a nice Discord and everyone there is just there for the art, which is what Artie always says, like he's here for the art. So it's fun. And yeah, my drop's booked in. I don't want to say when, but it's booked in for the back half of the year. Uh, I can't give away too much about it, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we, we got to wait a little bit until we get to see this. Were you approached to do this or did you apply yourself? Both. Yeah. So I applied and obviously Artie and I have a good relationship anyway, just through, through my, my personal work with him. And yeah, we just started chatting about it and he extended the offer um, after I submitted the pieces and he said, we have to have you, which yeah, I was blown away because you look at the lineup, some of the artists that are on there, I, I look up to them in Web3, like for Web3 standards, they're incredible. And to see my name on the website amongst them, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I was, I was very proud. Yeah, that's I remember good. when I first found out, I told my wife and she was like, Oh, yeah, the card thing. I'm like, no, not just the card thing. This is, this is so cool. <laughs> yeah, that's an amazing feeling. I can, can imagine. You're very active in so many communities and with your job, with your family. So the giant social experiment that we call Web3 that takes a toll mentally and physically for many people. So being online, constantly interacting, fighting the Twitter algorithm and Elon. Yeah. <laughs> so it can wear you down. What keeps you mentally strong? So what is your secret source of strength? so to speak. It is tough sometimes, It definitely, especially with the algorithm. I think the algo and, and Twitter, any, anything that's out of your control, I don't worry about it. You can't change it. You, the, I don't waste any energy on something that I can't change. I'll worry about stuff when it's happening, if I can change it or do something about it. But if I put, like, I, I like to think that everyone's in the same boat, so it's not necessarily, I don't ever take it personally. If I post something and it doesn't get seen or it doesn't get engaged with, I'm going to be here tomorrow, I'm going to be here the next day, I'm going to be here in the next year, I'm going to be in the next 10 years. So whatever's happening right here and now, it doesn't matter. That's probably what keeps me grounded, but it's a juggling act. Life in general is a juggling act, just trying to fit in the things that you want to do and you've got to be present in so many different areas. You've got to try and be direct, I guess, with what you do. I don't always get it right, that's for sure. I'm, I'm definitely not perfect. Yeah, it's fun. It's just a constant juggling act. So I would encourage everyone to, if you're ever worried about the algorithm or something, definitely don't post about it because Elon will block you. <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't take it personally. And you just keep doing your thing and good art will always find a way to make it out there. Yeah, these are wise words. Don't worry about things that you can't change. And I try to live by these words too. 
Uh, it's difficult, actually, but you have to remember yourself, remind yourself of, of this from time to time. I don't think that's a very bad thing to get blocked by Elon, but it's just my personal opinion. So. <laughs> yeah. I think it would probably be a blessing if I got blocked off Twitter for a couple of weeks. So don't get me wrong. <laughs> no, oh, I see. I see. So, uh, yeah, living in Australia means that almost every GM, good morning, is a GN for you and the other way around. So how do you manage to keep a finger on the pulse of Web3? Have you found a way to balance your family life, your work as a firefighter, digital art, Discord, everything? So what's your, what's your secret? It sounds a lot when you put it out on the table like that. Yeah. We're definitely disadvantaged here in Australia. I've noticed it with a couple of friends who are doing the meme card drops, which I'm not a part of. And I think if I was, I still couldn't be because it's a 3.30 or our time, it's 3.30 in the morning, three times a week that you have to get up and, and get the picture. I wouldn't be able to sustain that. I'd be so grumpy at home, like being tired. <laughs> but yeah, we're definitely disadvantaged here in Australia. Like everyone sort of wakes up in Web3 as such, like at around 11 o'clock at night. And that's too late, especially with kids and just wanting to have a normal life. But we make it work. You obviously, we you can't be everywhere at once. So I just get all my stuff done during the day when it suits me. And, you know, mid morning is nice because sort of the US and every, like your side of like Europe is starting to wind down a bit. It's just the same. It's the day before yeah. <laughs> we live in the future, here, apparently. <laughs> Absolutely. So I've got to be mindful of that, especially when it's like, you know, a Christmas or any sort of significant event that we all share around the world. I've got to remember that we're a day in front and everyone's thinking, why is this guy a day early? <laughs> <laughs> it's a constant balancing act with time and, managing when things are i try and sort of give myself the best opportunity to beat the algorithm if i post pictures at three o'clock in the afternoon i know there's a fair chance no one's going to see it other than my australian friends not that there's not a lot of them but most of my audience is overseas so it'd just be silly for me to post anything sort of significant late in the afternoon which would be more convenient for me, but it's not necessarily the best thing. So, so you're you're sometimes planning when you tweet or show something, so that you keep other time zones in mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think that's what everyone should be doing when they're tweeting, unless it's sometimes you're just so excited and you want to say it there and then. But you have to be mindful of who's going to see it and when. You don't want to give your best yeah. sort of information when no one's going to see it while everyone's asleep. So I kind of stem that back from when I was posting on Instagram, trying to build up my profile there. I would target my pictures like late in the afternoon when everyone was sort of had just finished dinner and they're sitting on the couch and they're just doing like, the, you know, the, the nighttime scroll on their phone, which yes. everyone does. I mean, <laughs> everyone does it. So if, if I post a picture, there's chances are people, more people are going to see it because they're sitting down as opposed to posting it during the day when they're all at work. So yeah. It's just those little things. It's very simple. I don't know if it works. It's not a proven formula. So don't try it. But so far, it's worked for me. Yeah, definitely. You don't just want tumbleweeds on your tweets or crickets when you tweet yeah. something. We should ask Punk6529 to, to perhaps sometimes change the schedule for their drops so that our Australian friends can take part in this and don't have to get up at 3.30 at night. <laughs> Yeah, well, I know David Fair's New Life Visuals, he got up, I think it was last night or the night before, at 3.30 in the morning and Intrepid Falls, he gets up at 3.30 three times a week and I said, mate, no. it's not sustainable. Like, could, <laughs> I know that it's crazy what's going on with all those flaws and stuff with the pictures, but yeah, you've got to have an in-real-life balance as well. So I think that's most important that's because we're not going anywhere. Web3 is not going anywhere. It's important to remember that. Yeah, and you don't want to burn the candle at both ends at the same time. That's right. Definitely. 100%. Going back to your art or your shoots, can you describe a particular memorable or challenging shoot that you have done? 
I think probably capturing whales is probably the one that definitely stands out in my mind. They're the pinnacle here for Australians. It's a very exciting time of year when, when they're coming up the coastline. There's there's ads on TV, especially at the coast. The coast comes alive. There's a whole town just dedicated to whale watching in Tarthra in New South Wales, near where I live. There's some strict laws around what you can and can't do when you're trying to capture them, which sort of adds to the element of just trying to capture them, I guess. Like you've got to, there's so many different things that have to go right for you to actually capture one of them. Probably the most memorable, or there's, it's hard to nail down one because every time I see one, I feel like it's just such a special moment because you can predict when they're going to be there, like for the time of year, but you, you just really have no idea the ocean is huge and the drone is so small. So you've kind of got to just make your best educated guess when you see them and hope for the best. Capturing one breaching in front of a rainbow, I honestly don't know. I haven't really seen many of them. Very lucky. Capturing the one that I've got available on, on Super Air, it's like the only whale I've got listed at the moment. That was the only whale I saw last year, all year. Oh, so, wow. And I wow. went out a lot. <laughs> so I think that that's pretty special in itself, even just seeing it and being able to capture it in the way that I did and then not being able to see one for months. And it's kind of as fun as it is getting that one shot, it's kind of also disappointing because I know that I have to wait a whole nother year until they come around again, unless I travel halfway across the world, which yes. is not going to happen. Yes, I see. I see. Yeah. Is there a piece that you that you created that has very special meaning to you or that has perhaps a backstory that you would like to share? I think every piece I've captured has always been a good memory or a good time that I've been. So they're, they're all different. They all mean different things in different ways, whether they were the first ones that I ever minted the early on in my creative journey to the ones that I created in my Sapphire series, which you know, while I was away on holiday and I had, it was just one of the best family holidays that I've had. So All of them are special in some sort of way. A couple of them are printed in a magazine that I've got in my house that you can buy from the magazine store with the Photographer of the Year mm. Awards. And yeah. like that's really special to me. Um, I think it's cool that I can go to the shops and open up a magazine and my kids can see photos that I've taken. And That's amazing. Yeah, that's definitely something that I'll take away from that forever. They're each special and the ones that I take in the future are going to be special for sure. Like I don't know. I kind of like the fact that I don't really know what I'm going to capture again. I just let it, let it happen. It's fun. It's definitely a fun process. I like your enthusiasm here, really. And I can I can really yeah, relate to this. Seeing a photo, it gives you a certain connection for everyone. Everyone perhaps has, has their own story in this photo. And, and you have your own connection, your own memories, vacations and everything. So yeah, I think it's a good answer to almost everything. Yeah, it's something I struggle with too, especially when posting photos. Is Some people are really good at putting a story behind their photo. And sometimes my story is very simple. Like I woke up, I got up really early and I wanted to take a photo of the sunrise and there was a beautiful sunrise and that's the story. <laughs> But uh, some people just managed to write these really good narratives of, oh, I can't even think of anything off the top of my head because that's how bad I am at it. But I think that's a talent in itself is being able to storytell about what, like what you're feeling and, and how the sort of the picture made you feel. But also in a way, I like that ocean, especially the waves, like with my wave stuff that what I interpret from a wave is very different to what someone else can interpret. So it can evoke a different emotion. And I don't always like putting a story to the wave because I want someone to just look at it and it brings back a memory for them rather than me telling them the memory that I had. I don't know if that really makes sense, but yeah, that's kind of some of the stuff that I want to do with my wave pictures is it just bring back a memory for the viewer, whoever it might be, the collector, the viewer, and they can make up their own mind or their own narrative with the piece. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. You don't dictate the story that the viewer wants to to tell and the, the photo tells its own story in some, some kind of way, I would say. Yeah, for sure. One of your most impressive shots, in my opinion, is the one that shows a humpback whale. 
and I guess you mentioned it before, that is about to dive. It's called Wander, available on SuperRare right now. And it's called Wonder, rightfully so. So you have somehow managed to snap this majestic animal in all its glory, its power, and at the same time, vulnerability. So can you tell me a bit more about that shot? Yeah, 100%. I still remember the day. It was a very cloudy, overcast day, and I didn't think it was windy. It wasn't a great day for filming by any means. And we went to our local sort of vantage point where I've seen a lot of whales. But this one, it was just the lone whale. It's the only one I saw for the year. And it was maybe a couple hundred meters off the shore, which is very, very unusual for that time of year. And it was just playing. Like at first we thought there was something wrong with it, that it had been hurt just because of the way it was it was jumping around and how close it was to the shore. But after I got the drone out and just watched it for a little bit, it was just playing. Like it was just pure magic watching this thing out in the water. And the way that the, how cloudy it was outside and the sun had peaked through, it was weird when it popped its tail up, it kind of just almost looked like it was diving into the depths below like into the darkness but there was like this light above that it was trying to hang on to and it just i don't know it kind of shone through when i was looking at the picture so yeah i just i had to mint it i minted that on my birthday <laughs> last year which was pretty oh, wow. cool i thought it was the right time to put it up but yeah it's it's still there and i'm very very proud of that shot just waiting for the yeah the right person you only need one person to to vibe with it with the way i do and um i'll happily just uh leave it there until it does because i am very 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 proud of it absolutely this is very very special this piece we are going to put this in the show notes with a link so the audience can see it too how were you feeling when you were shooting this whale so was her adrenaline kicking in your fingers were shaking because you knew this was going to be a good shot or were you a bit afraid perhaps that you even didn't get it right or missed the the important part. I think you listed all of them <laughs> all in one go. <laughs> I was so excited, honestly, because it was it wasn't just swimming, it was jumping out, it was flipping, it was it was lifting its tail out like it was very active, very active whale. And when you set out because I set out for the season, I wanted and this is what I wanted to see for the year. So when I got there and I saw it, like I was so excited. And I had all the gear there ready to go, like everything just sort of lined up. So and I had a lot of filming with this wow like I've, i've used a lot of footage from it online on my instagram i think this is the only picture i've minted of it online but i've definitely got a lot of of stuff that i could use but i just it just hasn't felt right like i, I usually just do things when it feels right in my gut so i was very very excited and i was proud to release it it was that it was cool i was one of the first i think i was the first aerial photographer to release an image of a of a whale on super rare captured by a drone oh nice nice <laughs> yeah i i searched the platform for ages i asked the creators uh, super rare zach and and john and i said is, does, has anyone done any aerial whales and they said no they've only got one one underwater shot of some whales and some digital stuff so i was the first one to to mint uh, whales on there so i thought that was pretty cool <laughs> that's great congress <laughs> yeah how many shots did it take you to find this one did you finally mint it oh hundreds it's so many just because they're not like a model where you can just tell them to turn to the left or turn to the right they kind of just <laughs> do their own thing and you've got to keep them in frame and fly with them and kind of predict what they're going to do keep the right distance from them. So it was definitely hard. And I've got a lot of shots that I couldn't use when the light sort of goes behind the clouds and the water gets really dark, nothing works. Like you point the drone down at the ground, yeah. it's just like looking at yeah. black. So no you really contrast. Need, yeah. yeah, there's just yeah. nothing that you can sort of bring back to life in post-processing. But this one, it just worked. Yeah, and it was the, the best one of the lot. So hence why it's minted. <laughs> wow. How close did you get with your drone? So how, uh, what altitude were you flying? 
You're not allowed to fly within 100 meters of them. So the zoom on the drone is is definitely key. Sometimes I don't always get it right. Like if you're flying along and you're like 60, 70 meters above and they're there, I'll just stop. But I think there's got to be a lot of common sense. Like you don't want to be endangering them or breaking the rules no. because if you break the rules for one, you just, you're going to ruin it for everyone else. The laws are, are very odd all around Australia. Like you can go to WA, uh, Western Australia, and you can fly within 50 meters of them. But in New South Wales, it's it's 100. So oh, okay. there's definitely a very gray area there with, is it going to hurt them You know, if you go a little bit closer? But yeah, it's definitely something you keep in the back of your mind. You don't always have to get super close to get a good shot. Like sometimes you want a little bit more of the scene in the photo and likewise flying super high. It's as fun as it is flying really high. Sometimes there's just no need whatsoever to go super high. Yeah, this this one is really, really amazing. Have you, you said you have a lot of footage on Instagram. Have you ever thought about doing drone movies and minting drone movies, aerial shots? Yes. I've released a couple of slow motion waves, which I just think that I think they're really fascinating. Uh, just watching all the details as they crash and then they go in reverse. Um, I think watching waves in reverse is just really cool. And it's not something, it's not something you can go to the, the beach and watch. So, I definitely enjoy minting those and capturing those. I've released a couple of whale videos on Foundation. Yeah, they've sold. My all-time high at the time was was a whale video to Mooncat, which, yeah, they're phenomenal. I don't Like I said, it, it just doesn't feel right at the moment for me to release one. It definitely There definitely will be more, but when it feels right in my head, I'll just do it because, there's, yeah, as I said, there's no rush and I'm going to be here for a long time, so I'll, I'll yes. do it when it feels right. Yeah. That's great. No need to, to mint everything in one go, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Sometimes it feels like I am. I think, oh, maybe I should have waited a bit longer, but then, yeah, it, it works out. <laughs> yeah, we're all still finding out about how to best approach this, how much to mint and to artificially restrain yourself to not to mint Yeah, it's hard. But... So many rules. Like, yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know if they are rules, but there's definitely... I just follow my gut. It, it, your gut's usually your best thing. If it feels right, go for it. Yeah, that's because no one in Web3 really knows what's going on. So everyone's trying something different and you'd see what exactly. works and what sticks, right? And you have recently been awarded Australian Aerial Photographer of the Year for your photos captured in Tangaluma, Queensland, I yes. guess it was. Yep, so congratulations on this. How did this happen? <laughs> yeah, oh, mate, I was blown away, honestly, to, to take out that award just even just thinking back on it to be the best at something in Australia, that's pretty cool. <laughs> had to apply and submit a, ser a series of four images, like a collection as such. I think it was two or 3,000 entries. I got vetted in January to say that I was a finalist. And then they asked for a headshot of me and some more story behind the, the pieces, and which was odd because I like never post photos of my face <laughs> online. So yeah. I had to send them a photo and... And yeah, the, and they announced it online. I saw it online before um, I saw it in the magazine, which was amazing. Yeah, it's like, it, wow. I wouldn't say it's life-changing. Like, it's pretty cool. Like, my kids are, are the life-changers in my family. But yeah, I was very, very proud to take to take that out. Yeah. And uh, tell me the truth. Did you get out and buy all the magazines that are available? <laughs> How many did you get? I went to the news agency like three times before they were out. And every time I was like, is this magazine out yet? And they're like, no, it's not here yet. And like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I've got a couple. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not going to tell us a number the exact number all right got no, it no exact number yeah <laughs> triple digits they're I, very, I, they're very hard to get let's put it that way there might be a few <laughs> so loud <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's very cool do you have any future plans for your digital career you said that you were here for the long haul so are, are there any plans that you could hint at any projects that are coming in the next couple of months perhaps 
I definitely want to explore some AI stuff. I'm terrible at it, but um, that's something that interests me. I usually just sit on the fence and learn as much as I can before I dive right in. AI seems to be like the craze at the moment. I don't fully grasp it yet, but I, I want to, and I want to learn as much as I can about it. There's probably an avenue I'll, I'll look at. It's definitely not, I'm not going to leave my, my core body of work. There's a couple of places I want to travel to with my family, like whale season, that's definitely up there. But yeah, I'm just going to keep doing my thing, mate. I think I, I'm really, I'm enjoying releasing the work that I'm releasing at the rate that I am. It's evolving. I've got several pieces coming for the Sapphire series, which is doing really, really well at the moment. I'm just having fun minting my work. So, and I think yes. if I put too much pressure on myself with too many plans, it just doesn't work. That doesn't work for me. So I, I just do it as it feels right. Yeah. I might release a collection. I think collections are dying at the moment. I think everyone's just releasing one of ones with no real cohesiveness to, to the pieces. And I think two years ago, it was the norm to release like, you know, a body of like 20 images as a collection. And I know the guy online, Chris, who's, who's done the By Way of Water drop, which is phenomenal. Stuff like that, I think is really cool. And that should make a comeback. I, I'm predicting that to make a comeback this year for photographers to get that sort of more entry level to their work. Interesting. Do you think that artists should have a cohesive body of work? So should they stick to their style? So perhaps if you ask it a different way, so should an artist stick to their style? I don't think they should stick. To, I mean, everyone has their style and they'll stick to it whether they know they are or not. But I definitely wouldn't say, even for me, I can only take photos of the water or the ocean because that's what I'm good at. If I am good at it, that doesn't work for me. I live in the bush. I love going out and taking photos of anything that I can and that develops my style. So I would encourage anyone to just try new things. Like if you only take photos of elephants, go and take photos of rhinos, take, take a photo of something different. It will only benefit you getting out and doing something different. It just opens up your mind to a whole new thing. So I would definitely not say stick to one genre or one style. That's just me. It doesn't work for everyone. There's lots of great artists out there that stick to their genre and they absolutely own it. But for me, like I learn best by just going out and trying everything and it kind of just builds on me. Yeah. Yeah, it has to feel right and yeah, just try out new things. Yeah, all you can do is try, like I'll try anything once. Definitely like my core style is the ocean and the way that I do them. And that's not to say that that, that won't evolve in two or three years time, but it won't evolve if I just keep doing what I'm doing now. Like I'll have to try new mediums and new things and try different artistic styles. Otherwise, I'll never grow as an artist. Agreed, <laughs> agreed. Speaking of skills, what is a skill that everyone should have? in your opinion? Just in general? Sure. I think everyone should be able to cook. Like It's amazing <laughs> being at the fire station, how many people can't cook? We get a lot of new recruits in and they just you, you say, because we all take it in turns to cook meals and half of them don't know how to cook a basic meal. And I think, how have you lived this long yeah. in your life and you don't know how to cook spaghetti? That's probably a skill everyone should have. <laughs> this reminds me of Homer Simpson pouring milk into a cereal and it burst into flames. So. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I've seen it happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can you cook? It's a style everyone should have. And do you have this skill? I do. I do. I love cooking. Yeah, it's great. It's a fun time. Yeah. What's your favorite meal that you're cooking? Ooh, favorite. Well, there's a favorite that I like to eat and then there's a favorite that I like to cook. But I do like to make Mongolian lamb. I think I've got that pretty well dialed in. I make these nice baked sweet potatoes, like loaded sweet potatoes at work. They always get a good run. But I'll cook anything, anything with chili, sort of stir fries, like Asian dishes. They're yeah, definitely my jam. 
Yeah, now I'm getting hungry. (laughs) You have to send me the recipe for those and we're going to put those in the show notes. (laughs) For sure, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Do you have any tips or recommendations for aspiring drone or aerial photographers that want want to come to Web3? Yeah, I would just tell them to go out and have fun. If you're not having fun, whether it be flying a drone or in Web3, then you're not here for the right reasons. You've got to be having fun with what you're doing because that's what gets you through with the, the tough times because we both know it can be very brutal at times and you have to, if you're not having fun, then it it almost just sets you up to fail. So anyone getting a drone, like don't want to be taking the best photo of your life straight away. Just go out, go to the oval and fly and enjoy flying and having fun and learning how the machine works and what it can do. And then you just progress from there and practice. That's what I did. Every time I get a new drone, I'll take it down to the oval and fly it or fly it in the backyard and let the kids chase it. And and I enjoy that. It's fun. So if you're not having fun in Web3, you shouldn't be there. That's just my yeah. take. Yeah, that's the best bit of advice I can get. Just have fun with what you're doing. Don't make it feel like it's like it's work. That's exactly the way to describe it. I don't ever feel it as work. Like it, it still feels like a hobby to me, although my wife tells me that it's my second full-time job, <laughs> which it, it can be. <laughs> Yeah, If you let it be, it can be. But I, I like to keep it fun, which is probably why it's been successful for me in a way because I don't have those pressures. Um, as soon as you start putting pressure on yourself, things things always go south in any aspect of your life. So if you can keep it fun and simple, then yeah, for sure, it's that's the best advice you can have. Definitely good advice. Yeah. Tim, how would you describe what a drop bear is to someone who has never seen one? <laughs> a drop bear? Well... They are like the most known thing that's going to get you here in Australia. Is it? Yeah, you've always got to look up and watch your back. <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny how many sayings we have in Australia that we just say every day, and people are like, "What did he just say? Like, what, what does he mean?" And I'm like, oh, I don't know, "We're just talking about putting shoes on," but they think that we're talking about like swimwear when we say thongs. I'm like, "No, no." So it's <laughs> <laughs> something different. It's funny. <laughs> There's one question that it's been nagging at me is. Do you think that Australia's deadly animals are nature's revenge for Vegemite or Marukmite sandwich spread? <laughs> Vegemite is the best thing ever invented. I, <laughs> it's funny watching people eat it because I can see what they mean because sometimes I'll eat it with a teaspoon in the morning. Like I'll scoop it out and just eat it. And it's so bitter. Wow. And, but I'm just, I've been brought up on it, so I love it. <laughs> I'll have it on it's toast every morning. Savage. Just have it. But everyone hates it. <laughs> so, yeah. It's funny, it's like watching the Americans online have it on TV and I just sit there and chuckle because yeah, they don't know what they're missing out on. Truly, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've tried it in the past too. I even had a glass of Marmite. I haven't found out the, the difference between Vegemite and Marmite. No, just I, think, different... I actually think Marmite's a little bit stronger, maybe. But I think I, I only saw Marmite when I was in, in England. It's a wannabe Vegemite because Vegemite is superior. Wow. I can't beat it. Vegemite all the way. Okay, got to try <laughs> this one. Yeah, we've actually <laughs> yeah. got one here. It's called Cheesy Mite, which is it gets a run in our house. So it's a little bit less bitey, but it's easier to spread. And it's got like cream cheese in it. It's good. <laughs> well, that sounds deadly, even more deadly than the animals <laughs> that you have. <laughs> If you could tell your 2020 self something, Tim, what would that be? Oh, that's a tough question. I don't I think hindsight, it's always, there's always a million things you could have done, but I think everything you do in your past life is, is what brings you here. So you're only better for it. So I probably just told myself to keep doing what I'm doing. I've got a great family. I wouldn't change anything. So 2020 was a good year. 
if you could tell your 2025 self something and you actually you can right now, uh, what would that be? It would be to not break my foot on the weekend because I'm in a moon boot and oh I'm regretting every second of it. <laughs> so it would be don't go to a Bucks party or a bachelor party for everyone that doesn't know what a Bucks party is and don't go paintballing. Not fun. Oh, well. But you're holding up well today. Yeah, so. not too bad. Yeah, limping around. So everyone listening, Tim has a broken foot and he still does his podcast. So this is real commitment here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Surgery Monday, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, well, I don't hope so. Keep my fingers crossed for you. Do you have a recommendation for Twitter follow? So who should we follow on Twitter? Definitely. Ooh, I could really give someone a shout out here. Well, if I look at aerial photographers, definitely... New Light Visuals. He's a guy, another Australian mate of mine. I really like his stuff. He's a good dude. He's one to David. follow. David, yeah, we're very similar. It's pretty cool. And Rob Intrepid Falls, he's online. He's a great fella. Very, very smart, very Web3 minded. Just talking to him about contracts and provenance and all that sort of stuff. He's he's a wealth of knowledge. So I'd encourage everyone to follow him. If you ever have a, a Web3 related question, he will give you an essay in minutes on it and sometimes it's overwhelming i have to take a break on reading it when i need to try and oh, learn wow. something but he's definitely someone to watch yeah but you only have to scroll on the, on the timeline to see just all the incredible art that's around from any sort of medium like there's painters there's ai artists there's photographers there's glitch artists like everyone's everyone's amazing at what they do and i was never exposed to any of that sort of art before i went on to web3 and i didn't appreciate it as much as i appreciate it now so Yeah, there's so many people out there that you can follow. You can go right into the rabbit hole of Web3. Definitely. That's the same for me. I learned to appreciate art, even traditional art, more than after I started here. Definitely. Yeah. So those are, those are good recommendations. Who should I invite into the show, perhaps, as one of my next guests? Do we have someone you would like to hear from? Oh, I did see this question and I was umming and ahhing who I want to hear from. I think I'd have to message you in private because there's so many people that I do want to shout out. Sure. I do sure. want to hear from Rich Caldwell. He's an American aerial photographer who's doing really, really well at the moment. CA from the sky. He just takes amazing, just top-down textures. He's doing an Olympian series on Super Air at the moment. He's definitely like a big inspiration for me. Just the way that he handles himself online, I really like it. And his work obviously speaks for itself. It's very different to mine. We get along really well as well. We both get each other and I'd love to hear from him. I'd love, I'd love to hear him speak because I think he's English, but he lives in America. So he's probably got one of those weird English-American accents. <laughs> And I can say that because I've got a weird Australian accent. <laughs> I've heard heavier accents than yours. So yours is pretty understandable. So people got to live with my German accent too. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Rich is cool. Yeah, thank you. So last question. What would you want your last tweet ever to look like? Ooh, tough. Probably something with my family, I think. I don't post a lot online with my family. That's just something that we decided a long time ago on any social platform. But I think my last one would probably be something about them. Yeah. That's solid. That's a good answer. Yeah. Tim, thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure having you and had a blast. I hope you enjoyed it too. And despite the painkillers and the margarita. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a Friday night here. So yeah, it's, it's margarita night in the household. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. But definitely. no, thank you, thank you so much for having me, mate. I really appreciate getting to know you and having some of my work in your collection. It's amazing being able to support some of your drops as well, which has been really fun. I was absolutely chuffed when you asked me to speak here. It's my first ever podcast, so yeah, thanks. Mate. Oh wow, really, really? Yeah, you did so well. It was perfect. Thank you. Have a great weekend, Tim. Talk to you, you too, soon. Mate. Thank you. Bye.